Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. Former South Carolina attorney Alec Murdoch is sentenced to life in prison without parole after he was found guilty of killing his wife and son. Republicans want to make a deal. Any debt ceiling increase must come with a matching spending cut. Find out the details of a new bill. The Senate votes to block an ESG investment rule. How would the rule affect Americans' retirement funds, and would blocking it be consistent with free market principles? We bring you analysis. Leaders of a police union in Los Angeles say the police department can't respond to certain calls anymore because it's understaffed. Union leaders say various types of calls should be diverted to unarmed forces instead. Top voices from the conservative world gather in Washington to share their vision at day two of the Conservative Political Action Conference. We have more on what was discussed. A judge sentenced former South Carolina lawyer Alec Murdoch to life without parole. That was one day after he was convicted of murder in the shooting deaths of his wife and son. Mr. Murdoch, I sentence you to the State Department of Corrections on each of the murder indictments in the murder of your wife, Maggie Murdoch. I sentence you for the term of the rest of your natural life for the murder of Paul Murdoch, whom you probably love so much. I sentence you to prison for murdering him for the rest of your natural life those sentences will run consecutive. Ahead of his sentencing, Murdoch still maintained his innocence. Prosecutors said he committed the murders to divert attention from a series of financial misdeeds. These included the theft of millions of dollars from his law partners and clients. The judge also cited Murdoch's addiction to opioids. Murdoch blamed this for lying to investigators about his whereabouts on the night of the killing. A Republican congressman has introduced a kind of pay-to-play bill for raising the debt ceiling. The aim is to keep government spending under control. NTD's Daniel Monahan has more on the legislation. Iowa Congressman Randy Feenstra introduced the Dollar-for-Dollar Deficit Reduction Act on March 1st. Feenstra has long fought against government overspending. Injecting cash into a system inherently creates inflation. The bill would require the president to submit proposed spending cuts along with any formal request for Congress to raise the debt ceiling. The spending cuts would have to be completed within 10 years. Feenstra says the bill is a common-sense solution that will protect the full faith and credit of the United States. Feenstra's proposal comes amid negotiations between President Biden and House Speaker Kevin McCarthy on increasing the over $31 trillion debt ceiling. Biden has stated that he wants a clean increase to the debt ceiling. He doesn't want it burdened by future spending cuts. But House Speaker Kevin McCarthy says that Washington has fallen for a financial fad. That the national debt doesn't matter. That money can always be created out of thin air to pay for it. McCarthy has insisted he will not raise the ceiling without some agreement on spending cuts. But Republicans have declined to give specifics on such cuts, something Democrats have ridiculed them for. Senator Sheldon Whitehouse says the Republican strategy seems to be call everything woke and then cut its funding. Housing, woke. Chop it in half. Public schools and job training, woke. Slash it. Auditing tax cheats, woke. Let's not do that. Fighting climate change, woke. 
White House says the Americans need to see through what Republicans are trying to do. The woke screen is a smoke screen. The United States will again approach the debt ceiling sometime between July and September. At that point, the government will have no choice but to delay paying some of the nation's bills unless the debt ceiling is raised. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. The Senate is taking action, mostly along party lines, to do away with investment based on environmental, social and governance, or ESG, considerations. We hear analysis on how a rule by the Biden administration would affect Americans' financial security after retirement and some of the arguments for and against it. Joining us now is Will Hild, the executive director of Consumers Research. Really do appreciate your time today, Will. Glad to be with you. The Senate has just voted to block the Department of Labor rule that allows those managing retirement funds to invest based on environmental, social, and governance factors. The White House has signaled President Biden will veto it. What effect would Biden's rule have on American workers' retirement savings? Well, it allows woke asset managers to supplant their business judgment for their political judgment and to push far-left progressive goals with other people's pension dollars. The Biden administration has announced the rule in November last year, and the Labor Department alleged the Trump administration unnecessarily restrained managers of retirement funds from weighing ESG factors when making decisions. And the Assistant Secretary for Employee Benefit Security said the rule would make pensions more resilient and eliminate needless barriers. What's your reaction to this? Well, that's absurd. The previous rule that this rule was replacing basically said that asset managers were allowed to consider so-called ESG factors as long as they pertain directly to the pecuniary returns for the fund. So what this new rule basically says is that asset managers can consider their own politics when it comes to making investment decisions. That's absurd. The nation's pensioners need to be assured that the people that are managing their their funds are focusing on just their benefit. They need to know that they're gonna have the money they need for retirement to pay their bills, to pay their mortgages, to pay their rent, to eat. Not whether BlackRock and Larry Fink have been able to push their far-left progressive goals with those people's money. Opponents of the rules say it puts liberal politics over the security of retirement funds. But Democrats like Senator Chuck Schumer said opposing the rule runs counter to Republicans' free market principles, arguing that these private investors should be able to make their own decisions. What's your take on this? Well, it's an absurd allegation. The key to the free market in this sense is the fiduciary principle, meaning these asset managers have to act as if they are, they are the client themselves. They have to act only in the interest of the client. And that's all this previous rule said, basically, that these, these asset managers need to focus on the returns for the client, not supplanting their own political agenda. And furthermore, much of the money that these asset managers control is public funds. For example, BlackRock manages about 80% of the federal thrift saving plan. That's the federal pension fund. And they're using it to push a political agenda. So it's absurd to say that because of the free market, Larry Fink and BlackRock should have a free hand to push their politics with federal government dollars. So you mentioned how this is actually federal money, thus the reason for the federal government to step in. Can you say more about this? Certainly. The nation's military, the nation's federal workers, they should, they should know that their money is being managed to focus on the returns for their retirement, not to push a political agenda. That's not the free market. We don't suggest that... that uh, and at, when you hand money over to a bank or to an asset manager, it's the free market for them to go and do with it as they please. We don't let them embezzle it. We certainly shouldn't let them use it to, to push political goals that are outside of the bounds of what they're supposed to be doing, which is returning uh, shareholder value for people in their retirement. 
And of course, the principles are at issue here. They're very important. Can you give us a scale exactly as to how much impact this rule would make? Well, it's huge. Uh, ERISA, uh, the Department of Labor law that covers this, covers basically all uh, uh, private pensions in the United States. It is the rule by which all of them must be managed. So we're talking about trillions upon trillions of investment dollars that are, that are, that are under this ERISA rule. Very good to have your analysis today. Will Hill, the Executive Director of Consumers Research, thank you for your time. Thanks for having me. The Chicago Chief of Police has announced his resignation following Mayor Lori Lightfoot's failed bid for re-election. Lightfoot accepted his resignation and thanked him for his service. Chicago Police Superintendent David O. Brown will remain in office until March 16th. His leadership at the Chicago Police Department was during a time of rising violent crime and was a major issue in the mayoral race. All eight Chicago challengers for mayor said that they would fire Brown if they came to power. Chicago crime rose 45 percent under his leadership. Brown turned 63 in September, which is the mandatory age of retirement at the Chicago Police Department. He began serving as superintendent in April 2020. He was appointed to the post just a month before the murder of George Floyd, an incident that triggered civil unrest in Chicago. Chicago police officer Andres Vasquez Lasso was killed in the line of duty Wednesday night. The Chicago police superintendent says Vasquez Lasso was among four officers responding to a domestic violence call in the Gage Park neighborhood. Gunshots were fired by both an officer and a suspect. Both were hit, with Vasquez Lasso dying from his injuries. He was a five-year veteran of Chicago PD. Leaders of a police union in Los Angeles say officers should no longer respond to certain calls. This comes amid a severe staffing shortage in the city's police department. The Los Angeles Police Protective League represents over 9,000 sworn personnel in L.A. The league argues there are 28 types of non-emergency calls that it believes should be diverted to unarmed responders. This week, it submitted a list of those calls to the Los Angeles City Council. A union spokesperson told the Epic Times it took several months to put the list together. The union's president told media police officers are sent too many calls that are better suited for unarmed service providers. Types of calls on the union's list include nonviolent homeless and mental health related calls, parking violations, tenant disputes, illegal gambling, public defecation or urination, panhandling and more. The union's director and former LAPD officer said during a press conference this week that, quote, police officers are not psychologists. We are not psychiatrists. We are not mental health experts. We're not social workers, doctors, nurses, or waste management experts. According to a department personnel report, the LAPD is currently down 233 officers. 600 more are expected to leave in 2024. The LAPD's chief said in a statement to the Associated Press that alternative policing has already diverted thousands of calls away from a police response. Last October, the L.A. City Council voted to establish the Office of Unarmed Response and Safety to deploy trained mental health workers to respond to nonviolent situations. L.A.'s mayor and the LAPD have recently agreed to collaborate on a list of nearly two dozen provisions, which are a part of a plan to reform the police department. Alternative policing is a trend not only seen in L.A., but all over the country. New York City, San Francisco, Portland, and Olympia, Washington have also implemented or considered deploying unarmed response teams in recent years. 
Leading conservatives shared their thoughts at the 2023 Conservative Political Action Conference in Washington yesterday. Speakers tackled issues like the CCP, the Justice Department, and so-called wokeness in education. NTD's Daniel Monahan has the story. Good morning and welcome to CPAC 2023. The CPAC conference is the largest and most influential gathering of conservatives in the world. Tennessee Senator Bill Haggerty discussed the CCP's military buildup. He responded to a question on why the White House isn't taking the China threat more seriously. It's amazing to me that the Biden administration hasn't learned the most fundamental lesson from the Trump administration. And President Trump understood this clearly, that to deal with China, to deal with communist China, you must deal from a position of absolute strength. Haggerty says the Biden administration has tried to negotiate from a position of weakness. If you asked someone to solve the equation where China wins every time and the U.S. loses every time, at every instant, the Biden administration would get an A-plus on that paper. According to Haggerty, turning the other cheek won't make China turn our way. The topic then shifted to the CCP's hand in the fentanyl crisis. Well, the CCP is violating our sovereignty every single day when they kill our youth here in America. Haggerty says the CCP is working with cartels to shove poison across the southern border. Ohio Senator J.D. Vance criticized what he called the political bias of the Justice Department under Merrick Garland. He's gone after a pro-life father of seven at his home, arrested him like a hardened criminal. Yep. He's gone after parents peacefully protesting at their children's school board meetings. He's had the FBI investigate traditional Catholics as being domestic terrorists. Meanwhile, Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville discussed so-called wokeness in education. Folks, we're in trouble. Our country is in trouble, and it starts with education. Tuberville says if someone wants to make a difference in life, they should run for the school board. Until we start recognizing what the left is doing, trying to change family, trying to change the things that, that are our moral values, we've got no chance. Chaya Rachik discussed what moved her to start libs of TikTok. I think it was just how outrageous it all was and the fact that they were so proud of it. Rachik was referring to videos of kindergarten teachers discussing sexual themes and gender identity with kindergarten kids. Rachik felt that the public needed to know about it. I'm just a woman who saw a problem and decided to help and do something about it. The panel credited Rachik with shining a bright light on these issues. They say it sparked school boards and Congress to take action. Former President Donald Trump will be the keynote speaker on CPAC's final day, March 4th. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. The Supreme Court is considering dropping a high-profile case. Republicans are asking it to rule that state legislatures have greater power over federal elections. The justices recently heard almost three hours of oral arguments in the case. Republican Tim Moore, Speaker of the North Carolina House of Representatives, is appealing the Supreme Court of North Carolina's order redrawing the state's electoral map. Moore's side argues state legislatures have the authority to make the rules for presidential and congressional elections without interference from state courts. But now the North Carolina court has decided to rehear the underlying case, and the Supreme Court asked those involved to outline how the case could be impacted. Election law expert J. Christian Adams said the high court might be looking for a way to avoid ruling on the controversial appeal. He says, quote, courts regularly look for reasons not to decide a tough case. 
Veteran Supreme Court observer Kurt Levy also said the new order suggests the U.S. Supreme Court is looking for a way out. South Dakota is set to ban ballot drop boxes in elections. State lawmakers just passed a bill that's meant to clean up the state's absentee voting laws. The bill applies to unmonitored and unsecured ballot drop boxes. The South Dakota State House passed the final version of the bill on Wednesday. The state Senate passed the bill earlier this week. The bill is now headed to the desk of Republican Governor Kristi Noem for her signature. Noem has in the past expressed support for banning drop boxes in the state. Lawmakers who voted for this bill said this will make it easy to vote but hard to cheat. They voiced concerns over the connection between drop boxes and ballot harvesting. Opponents of the measure argue that drop boxes offer a convenient and accessible option for voters. And coming up, the House Ethics Committee officially launches an investigation into embattled Congressman George Santos. Santos has admitted to lying about his background. Credit card company Discover will track gun purchases starting in April. Critics say the move could lead to a social credit system. More in just a moment here on NTD News Today. The House Ethics Committee votes to investigate Congressman George Santos over claims that he engaged in unlawful activity on the campaign trail. The allegations include not disclosing required information, violating conflict of interest laws, and sexual misconduct. The committee will decide whether to take further action based on the findings. Santos's office said he is fully cooperating with the investigation. The Republican congressman represents New York's 3rd District. He has been in the spotlight for lying about his family background, education, and work history. During an interview, Santos confessed to making up false stories about himself to gain the support of the GOP. He has repeatedly refused to resign, even when members of his own party have called for him to step down. He has argued that he is being held to a different standard than Democratic lawmakers who have made false claims. The mayor of a Maryland college town is in custody on dozens of counts of child pornography. He was arrested just hours after he resigned from office. Patrick Wyan faces 56 counts of possession and distribution of child porn. Police searched his College Park home Tuesday and seized cell phones, a storage device, a tablet, and a computer. County officials say the police department started an investigation after the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children notified them last month that a social media account distributed suspected child pornography. Detectives traced the account to Wyan, who was serving his second term as mayor of College Park, which includes the University of Maryland campus. He previously served eight years as a city councilman. In his resignation letter, Wyan said he plans to deal with his mental health and ask residents to keep his family in their prayers. The city will hold a special election to choose a new mayor. Credit card company Discover plans to allow its network to track gun purchases. The decision is now sparking criticism. Earlier, the International Organization for Standardization introduced a merchant category code for firearms retailers. Discover says it will begin using the code in April. MasterCard, Visa, and American Express announced similar decisions last year. Critics denounced the move as targeting gun owners. Others compare it to the social credit system in communist China. That system allows Beijing to blacklist individuals from normal daily activities if they've done something the regime doesn't approve of. 
Meanwhile, states are pushing back. In January, West Virginia introduced a bill that stops companies from disclosing financial records about gun purchases, citing Second Amendment protections. Newly released court documents reveal evidence in the murder of four students in Idaho. Officials seized a cache of items from the family home of the suspect. Knives, a cell phone, black gloves, black masks, laptops, and dark-colored clothes and shoes were all found at Brian Koberger's parents' home. This is in Pennsylvania, where he was arrested. The evidence log was released yesterday. Criminology books and notebooks were also seized, along with a shop vac, medical records, and school-related paperwork. The suspect faces four counts of first-degree murder and the stabbing deaths. Severe weather hit parts of Texas last night. Tornado sirens sounded in Dallas as the skies darkened. The National Weather Service reported five tornadoes in counties east of Dallas. Officials say heavy winds overturned multiple semi-trucks in the state. The powerful gusts also caused a shop front in Little Elm to collapse. The shop facade buried several cars. Luckily, no one was inside them nor hurt when it happened. A local utility says over 170,000 homes and businesses were without power last night. Forecasters expect the storm to move east this weekend. They estimate up to 60 million Americans could be affected. This is what a grocery store in Crestline, California looks like now after more than two feet of snow fell in the San Bernardino Mountains in just two days. The storefront looks normal, but the heavy snow on the roof caused it to collapse. The area is now blocked off by yellow caution tape. It's the only grocery store in the small mountain town. One resident called it a blow to a community to have their only food source collapse. The store owners say they tried to shovel the snow off the roof, but couldn't keep up with how fast it was falling. They've already contacted insurance and hope to reopen as soon as possible. Walgreens says it won't be selling abortion pills by mail in 20 conservative-led states. The company made the announcement in a statement yesterday. The announcement comes after a warning from attorneys general from the 20 states last month. They were told they could face legal consequences if they sell them. CVS was also warned. A Walgreens spokesperson confirmed the company sent a response to each of the attorneys general promising not to dispense the pills by mail in their states. Walgreens is not currently dispensing the pills, but is working to become eligible to. An FDA-mandated process requires pharmacies to meet specific standards. That includes certification for shipping, tracking, and confidentially storing drug prescription records. That self-driving car may seem cool, but a recent survey shows growing apprehension over the technology. A survey by AAA found that 68% of drivers are afraid of self-driving cars. That's up from 55% of drivers in 2022. That's a 13% jump, the biggest increase seen by AAA since 2020. The automotive group concludes that car makers need to do more to build public trust and knowledge about the technology. Just ahead, Southeast Asia's largest military exercise, COVID Gold, is in full swing. Over 7,000 personnel are joining from 30 countries, including the U.S., Thailand, and South Korea. And Canadian members of Parliament are looking into allegations of CCP interference in elections. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau opposes the idea. We have the details soon when we return.
Good to have you back with us. Asia's largest military exercise now in full swing. Named the Cobra Gold, the drill is led by the United States with Thailand and South Korea participating. The two-week drill kicked off on Tuesday. More than 7,000 personnel are joining from 30 countries in the Indo-Pacific. The event took a two-year break during the COVID-19 pandemic. As it resumes, this year the war game will cover operations in the air, land, sea, and cyberspace. And for the first time, it will include space maneuvers like disrupting satellite signals. So this is the first time since 2020 that we have had to, been able to have a Cobra Gold of this uh, scale, this magnitude, and it's just a great opportunity for us to train alongside our partners, friends, and allies here in the Kingdom of Thailand. The Cobra Gold began in 1982. It's one of the longest-running multilateral exercises in the world. It serves a key platform for Washington to shore up its Asian alliances, in particular amid China's mounting influence in the region. U.S. and South Korean troops are set to conduct their largest combined military drills in years. Officials from the two countries announced the large-scale drills today. The exercises are dubbed Freedom Shield. They will be held from March 13th to the 23rd. The two militaries say it will strengthen the Allies' combined defensive posture as well as their response capabilities. The spokesman for South Korean forces says the focus will be on changing threats and the security environment. He referenced North Korea's aggression and their advanced nuclear and missile program. He also talked about adapting from lessons learned in recent wars and conflicts. One of those exercises will include a combined amphibious drill that will be conducted to improve combined operation execution capabilities. The spokesman for U.S. forces says the drills are routine and purely defensive in nature. China is building its own LEO satellites in an effort to compete with Starlink, operated by Elon Musk's SpaceX. LEO is short for Low Earth Orbit. This type of satellite operates at very low altitude from the ground to provide Internet in remote locations. With the U.S. tightening rules for semiconductor exports to China, Chinese leader Xi Jinping is calling to develop Beijing's own self-reliant technology. Chinese state-owned spacecraft maker Kasich will launch its first LEO satellite in September. Beijing sees Starlink as a U.S. military tool for surveillance. That says the satellites carry devices which monitor the space environment. Last year, Chinese military researchers repeatedly called for advancing new technologies to destroy Starlink once its satellites entered China's sensitive space region. Elon Musk says Chinese officials have directly asked to not provide Starlink services in China. Starlink is also playing a major role amid the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Last year, Elon Musk agreed to enable Internet services to Ukraine to counter Russia's Internet controls. Nebraska's governor is taking action against companies linked to the Chinese Communist Party, or CCP. Republican Governor Jim Pillen announced yesterday that he has issued an executive order to protect his state. The order bans the state government and contractors from using equipment and services produced by a list of CCP-linked companies. It says they can be used to commit malicious actions that include economic and industrial espionage. Companies on the list include Huawei and ZTE, among others. Pillen says the executive order will stop the CCP from using technology to infiltrate and influence Nebraska's infrastructure. In Canada, members of Parliament are looking into recent allegations of CCP interference in elections. A committee is now calling on the federal government to set up a public inquiry into the issue. 
The committee voted in favor of the public inquiry yesterday, right after they heard testimony from top intelligence officials. Recent reports from national security sources suggest the Chinese regime attempted to influence the last two federal elections in 2019 and 2021. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau said earlier this week that he doesn't support launching a public inquiry. And speaking of the Trudeau family, the Pierre Elliott Trudeau Foundation is returning a large donation linked to Beijing. A Chinese billionaire named Zhang Bin pledged a million dollars to the foundation and the University of Montreal in 2016. The foundation is named after Justin Trudeau's father and former Canadian prime minister. It received $200,000. The university was promised $800,000. Zhang was later found to be an advisor to the CCP. Canadian intelligence sources say the CCP instructed Zhang to make the donation in 2014 and promised to reimburse him. The foundation announced Wednesday that it returned the donation after learning about Zhang's link to Beijing. The Globe and Mail reported that the donation was part of a plot to influence Trudeau after he became liberal leader in 2013. A spokesman from the University of Montreal says the school received $550,000 of the promised amount. He did not say if the university would return the money. The university also says Zhang wanted to use part of the fund to build a statue of former Chinese communist leader Mao Zedong at the university's law school. Meanwhile, in the U.K., pilots who have served across the British military are being recruited to train Chinese armed forces. The head of the Royal Air Force says it's unacceptable. RAF Air Chief Marshal Sir Mike Wigston told Australian media that he's prepared to call China out publicly. The Ministry of Defense issued an intelligence alert in October. Reportedly, around 30 former fast jet and helicopter pilots were recruited to help train China's People's Liberation Army with compensation packages of over $270,000 a year. He said since then, a number of people have told authorities they were also approached, adding he is confident that the U.K. has nipped this threat in the bud. Wigston said the U.K. has shared information on the issue with other Western allies, including Australia, which has faced similar problems. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. Just ahead, a video shows a Russian missile hitting a target in a training drill. Russia's defense ministry says the submarine's cruise missile hit the target over 620 miles away. And in Belgium, thousands of tractors blocked the streets of Brussels. Farmers were protesting the government's new emissions curves. More shortly here on NTD News Today. A Russian submarine in the Sea of Japan just hit a land target over 620 miles away during a military drill. The weapon? A caliber cruise missile. Russia's defense ministry said on Friday it's the same type of missile Moscow uses in the Ukraine conflict. The ministry published a video showing the missile emerging from underwater. It then hit a target at a training area in Russia's eastern Khabarovsk region. Worth noting, Moscow is locked in a decades-old territorial dispute with Tokyo over a chain of Pacific islands. The Kremlin said an undisclosed number of its Pacific fleet, ships, jets, and drones were also involved in the drill used to secure the perimeter. Moscow has used caliber missiles to attack multiple targets in Ukraine, including power stations. That's by launching them from ships and submarines in the Black Sea. 
two men from Kansas allegedly exported aviation technology to Russia illegally. They were arrested by U.S. authorities yesterday. They're charged with conspiracy, exporting controlled goods without a license, and smuggling. The U.S. tightened restrictions on exports to Russia following the invasion of Ukraine. The two men face a maximum penalty of 20 years in prison for each count of exporting the controlled goods. The men owned and operated Conrus Trading Company. It supplied Western electronics installed in aircraft to Russian companies. The Justice Department says the men concealed and misstated the true value and end destinations of their exports. The FBI and the Office of Export Enforcement are investigating the case. One of the world's largest humanitarian warehouses is in Denmark. It's working around the clock to send aid to Ukraine. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more on the noble efforts. This warehouse covers nearly five acres. It belongs to UNICEF, the UN's children's agency. And it produces and ships over 50 different kits for emergency help, midwifery, and education. The first wave response will always be for us it's water and sanitation and health. So we have what we call the interagency emergency health kits, which address the needs of 10,000 people for three months. And there are more than 90 different items in these 26 to 30 boxes. Since Russia's invasion in February last year, the agency has sent over 25,000 first aid kits to Ukraine. It's also shipped over 200,000 sets of winter clothes and blankets power is an issue. So then we, second wave, third wave, we started to send generators and then rebuilding materials to, to, to rebuild the facilities that have been affected, health, education, etc. So the supplies will vary according to the phases of the emergency. UNICEF also operates five warehouses in Ukraine, plus two in neighboring Poland and Turkey. Over the years, every year we have simultaneous emergencies. The magnitude of the last three years of affected population is unprecedented. Considering the pandemic and how much that has fragilized economies and, and countries and government to be able to provide support to their population. The facility is largely automated. A combination of conveyors, robots and a winding monorail do most of the work. We knew that we could reach Ukraine in such a short time, three days to get to the border. At that time, all the robots can work simultaneously to pick up all the supplies and then to bring them to the loading location that we are here. Staff are also sending aid to Turkey and Syria following the recent devastating earthquakes. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. A court in Belarus has sentenced Nobel Peace Prize winner and human rights activist Alessi Aliatsky to 10 years in prison. He is accused of financing protests and other crimes. Prosecutors asked the Minsk court to give Bialyatsky a 12-year sentence. He and three co-defendants were charged with financing protests and smuggling money. Bialyatsky denies the charges. The 60-year-old is a co-founder of a human rights group and one of the most prominent Belarusians jailed during a crackdown on anti-government protests. He was arrested in 2021 along with two other members of his group. Mass demonstrations took place after longtime leader Alexander Lukashenko was declared the winner of the 2020 presidential election. Bialyatsky was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize last October for his work on human rights and democracy, sharing it with Russian rights group Memorial and Ukraine's Center for Civil Liberties. 
a massive protest in the Belgian capital. Thousands of tractors rolled into the streets of Brussels as farmers rallied against the government's new plan to limit nitrogen emissions. About 2,700 tractors blocked the city streets. Many carried large signs in Dutch reflecting the farmers' anger. One of them read, use your heads, keep the farmers in our country. Belgium and the Netherlands have higher nitrogen oxide levels in air and water than EU regulations permit. Authorities blame this on the large number of livestock and heavy use of fertilizers, as well as on transportation and construction. But Belgian farmers say cuts on nitrogen emissions would reduce the country's livestock. An agricultural group says the planned nitrogen deal would, quote, cause a socioeconomic carnage. The government, they want to vote laws that are not equal for the industry and uh, the farming sector. And uh, that's a danger for us farmers. Maybe we can't continue our farms without the new laws. We are all convinced that something has to change nitrogen-wise, but the agricultural sector should not be treated differently to the industrial sector. Most protesters came from Belgium's northern region of Flanders. That's where the planned regulations are set to take effect. The proposal hasn't gained approval from local authorities. Officials say they are expecting a final decision this week. Italian police arrested the sister of a recently jailed mafia boss today. Rosalia Messina Denaro now faces charges of associating with a mafia organization. Her brother was Italy's most wanted man until his arrest in mid-January after 30 years on the run. He was sentenced to multiple life terms for a long list of murders and other crimes. Investigators have long suspected that his flight from justice was helped by family members and strong clan loyalty. His sister's arrest is the result of the investigation that led to his capture. Over to France, supermarkets are expected to raise their prices in March. And today's France correspondent David Vives spoke with a market analyst who says inflation will likely continue to go up throughout the year, which would hit consumers, particularly those on a tight budget. French analysts predict food inflation to hit new record highs in March. As the annual negotiations between manufacturers and distributors come to a close this week, many fear that prices for some grocery products could go up by as much as 40%. Business Insights director at market research firm IRI Emily Meyer says this trend will stay with us for much longer than just March. Prices will continue to rise gradually throughout the second quarter of the year, so it's more the second quarter of the year as a whole where we're going to see further inflation rather than just March. Meyer says her institute measured food inflation of over 14% in February, compared with February of last year. That's close to the UK, where inflation rose by 17% this month, according to figures released by research firm Kentar. Meyer says accelerating inflation has been a global trend that started about one year ago, and while there are differences between countries in Europe, the causes are similar. Even before the war in Ukraine, a year ago, we knew that prices were going to rise, as global crises had caused a whole series of disruptions to transport and energy, which had already caused a higher inflation rate. The summer of 2021 also gave rise to very significant climate excesses. In Canada, for example, temperatures rose to 50 degrees Celsius, 
which significantly reduced the wheat harvest. The war in Ukraine added tensions to areas that were already under pressure, such as agricultural raw materials as well as energy. According to various studies, French consumers have changed their shopping habits. More canned food, less fresh produce. The consumers have two main strategies. Either they will buy fewer things or they will look to buy cheaper products. So we can already see that there are fewer purchases, particularly of fresh produce, such as meat, fish, fruit and vegetables, which are expensive products for consumers and are experiencing high inflation. These are already bought less in quantity. Meyer says French shoppers have shelled away from certain goods, such as clothes or organic products, in order to save money. And that even higher inflation rates are expected for the second half of 2023. We could be looking at hikes of around 20%. The high rate of inflation puts some French people under pressure and therefore forces them to lower the quality of what they buy and what they would like to buy. Never since the 1980s has the inflation rate in France reached such levels. But due to government support, it still remains lower on average compared to other EU countries. David Vives, NTD News, Paris. Just ahead, a young Jordanian boxer reaches the sport's number one world ranking. The 24-year-old looks to win a medal at the upcoming Olympics in Paris. And a Jordanian woman is at the top of the international world taekwondo rankings. As she also sets her sights in the Olympics, she's inspiring young athletes at home. Stay tuned for more on that when we return. A young Jordanian boxer recently earned the sport's number one world ranking. Now he's hoping to capitalize on the momentum at the Paris Olympics in 2024. Entity's Andrew Thomas has more on the athlete's efforts. Jab, cross, hook, uppercut, bob and weave, footwork. These are a boxer's tools. Ziad Ashish shadow boxes at the Olympic Preparation Center in Amman. The 24-year-old is training for the upcoming Olympics in Paris. He recently reached the number one spot in the boxing world rankings. First of all, thank God. The achievement of being number one in the world ranking and winning the golden belt were not easy to accomplish. I worked hard and I trained well with my coach. Thank God that I managed to reach this level. His success has become a source of inspiration for him to reach the Olympics for the second time. This time around, he hopes to clinch a medal. To be honest, I am under pressure following the ranking because everyone is waiting for a new achievement from me. Hopefully, I will be up to it and win the medals that they and I want. His interest in the sport started as a child. His father enrolled him in a boxing club to release his energy. The sport became a positive outlet that kept him out of trouble. When I was a child, I was a troublemaker. My father enrolled me at my uncle's club so that I could take out my energy and curb my problems. When I went there, I really liked it and I decided to continue. Ashish hopes his recent achievements inspire young people in his neighborhood. People who like me are happier because of me. 
They are happy, and this is a source of pride for me. Many people liked boxing after I got this ranking, and many people sent me messages over social media asking me to teach them. But as you know, I only train myself, not teach. The 2024 Olympics are set to kick off in Paris on July 27th. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Jordan isn't just topping the list for boxing, but also for Taekwondo. The country boasts the woman ranked the world number one. She's inspiring a new generation of Arab girls. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more. Juliana Al-Sadek started to train in Taekwondo at the age of eight with her father, who's her coach as well. She went on to study sports in college and now practices full time. Thank God when Coach Faris was appointed as the coach of the national team, I knew that he would not abandon any talent. Al-Sadek was the first Arab woman to win a gold medal during the Asian Games in 2018. Now she's ranked world number one and she's setting her sights on the Olympics, where she hopes to add to Jordan's three Olympic medals. Of course, being first in the World Taekwondo ranking motivates me and provides me with great determination to exert more effort and prepare well for the coming Olympics. And hopefully I will be able to win an Olympic medal. Al-Sadek is a role model to young girls. She says that drives her further to win and succeed. I feel so happy whenever a girl tells me that she wants to become like me and says, I always try to imitate your techniques that I see in videos. This motivates me that the younger generation looks to me as a role model. This does not add more pressure on me. On the contrary, it further motivates me to reach the highest levels. Her coach, Faris Al-Asaf, said his fighters' achievements have inspired Jordanian girls to start practicing the martial art. To be honest, in the beginning it was a bit difficult, but now with Juliana's achievement, ranking first in the World Taekwondo ranking, we noticed that there is rising demand by girls to register in Taekwondo clubs. The number of girls is on the rise. Al-Sadek may be the world number one at the moment, but she's focusing on the training in front of her and her goal to bring the hardware home from Paris in 2024. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Coming up, a Georgian ski resort offers a whole new world of skiing. It's hosting the Freestyle World Ski Championships until March 5th. Details to come on NTD News Today. A Georgian ski resort is hosting the Freestyle Ski and Snowboarding World Championships. The village aims to become an international resort. Entity's Andrew Thomas has more. Georgia's ski resort Bakuriani has always been a local attraction. After the nation gained independence from the Soviet Union in 1991, Georgia's Ski Federation started developing the resort. There are very good ideas and, and very good possibility uh, for Georgia to be even more known and, and more established because in Europe, you know, right now it's warm. You know, we have warm, it's springtime, and uh, uh, so people can come to ski here in great conditions. Bakuriani's pine tree forests draw visitors year-round. For sports lovers, the area has always had the potential to become a world-famous mountain sports destination. This is a whole new world of skiing for people around the world. It's an exotic experience. Um, certainly now Georgia show that they have uh, wonderful infrastructure for skiing and snowboarding. Um, they also now have the ability to put on fantastic events for the athletes. 
In 2018, Bakuriani was granted the hosting rights for the FIS Freestyle World Ski Championships. Key uh, question for me is about the legacy. And uh, when we made the presentation uh, seven years ago and five years ago, we really wanted to make a program which makes sense for the ski resort to promote to promote Georgia for the kids to discover the sport. The Georgian government saw it as an opportunity to promote winter sports in the country and attract more tourists. Georgia has invested $103 million in ski infrastructure and has built two new water reservoirs, over 20 miles of snowmaking systems, three ski lifts, and 11 new ski slopes. It is our top priority uh, as government to ensure we continue developing our ski resorts. Uh, Bagoriadu, for instance, is a great example of what we've achieved uh, in short period of time. We've ensured that our ski infrastructure is, uh, um, is uh, of highest standards and quality. The FIS Freestyle World Ski Championships run in Bakuriani until March 5th. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Two Spanish tourists sighted a Wimmel deer for the first time at Chile's Magallanes National Reserve. The Spanish couple captured the footage while visiting the reserve on February 14th. It shows a young Wimmel deer walking into the woods without getting scared of the human presence. A forestry official says it was the first sighting of a Wimmel deer or South Andean deer in that reserve, proving the area is a viable habitat. The Wimmel is an endangered species in the world with less than 2,500 individuals alive between Chile and Argentina. There are conservation efforts from governments and foundations to save the species as domestic animals, cattle and wildfires still pose a threat to their habitats. A species of large insect, once thought to be extinct, was spotted in the most unlikely of places, outside an Arkansas Walmart. This is a giant lacewing. The director of Penn State's Insect Identification Lab found one on a Walmart building in 2012, but he misidentified it at the time and only recently discovered its true identity. The finding is significant because it's the first sighting of a giant lacewing in eastern North America in more than 50 years. It's also the first record of the insect ever in Arkansas. Scientists don't know why the giant lacewing disappeared. However, the discovery of this one might indicate there is a surviving population that has evaded detection and extinction. An amazing discovery in the Great Lakes brings closure to a shipwreck mystery buried at sea for more than a century. Take a look at this. Deep below the surface of Michigan's icy Lake Huron, a 128-year-old shipwreck mystery has been solved. NOAA officials, in conjunction with the Thunder Bay National Marine Sanctuary, say the remains of the long-lost Ironton shipwreck have been found in remarkably preserved condition. Researchers use cutting-edge technology to locate the 191-foot Ironton, which collided with another vessel in 1894, sinking both ships and leaving only two survivors behind. Officials say the lake's cold freshwaters helped preserve the sunken ship, which is resting upright with all three masts still standing, and its lifeboat, which doomed crew members tried unsuccessful to use, still tethered to the vessel's stern. A unique chandelier bought for just $300 at a London antique store sold at auction Tuesday for more than $3.5 million. The bronze light fixture was created by Swiss sculptor Alberto Giometetti in the 1900s. It's 53 inches tall and 60 inches wide. A British painter, John Cragston, bought the chandelier from an antique store in 1960 and hung it in his London home. 
Craxton died in 2009, and the chandelier was eventually put up for sale by his estate. In 2018, a different Giacometti chandelier sold for more than $9 million. A giant clam in Florida has the honor of sharing the name of a famous American president. The clam is 214 years old, born the same year as Abraham Lincoln. Florida's Blaine Parker found this quahog clam over President's Day weekend. He calculated its age by the number of layers on its shell and gave it the name Abraham Lincoln. It's now arrived at the state's Gulf Specimen Marine Lab. Most clams measure three to four inches long and weigh at most a half a pound, but this one is six inches long with a weight five times that of a regular clam. Beans have many health benefits for the body, so what is it about beans that makes them such a magical food? Here's Gina Marie with Strong Mind and Body. Beans belong to the legume family. They are celebrated as tasty, easy to prepare, nutritious, and a good meat substitute. They can be divided into three types. Let's break it down. Number one, protein beans. Soybeans, black beans, black beans with green kernels, lentils, mung, pinto, kidney or red beans, and edamame kernels are all rich in protein. Every 50 grams of fresh beans contains seven grams of protein. That's equivalent to the protein content of 30 grams of meat as well as many vitamins. Number two, starchy beans. Besides being high in protein, mung beans, kidney or red beans, and pinto beans are rich in starch content and contain an array of nutrients. Number three, fun facts about other beans. Peas are considered a vegetable, and string or green beans are actually a fruit. Both are low in calories, high in fiber and probiotics, and even beneficial for healthy bowel movements. Next, let's look at the nutrients in beans. Rich in protein, beans also contain estrogen-like ingredients such as soy isoflavins and goldfinch isoflavins. These can help improve symptoms of menopause such as night sweats, hot flashes, skin problems, and psychological stress. These problems are caused by estrogen deficiency. Beans can also improve blood lipids and remove free radicals. And finally, are beans suitable for men to eat since they contain estrogen? There is no evidence to suggest that their consumption increases estrogen in men and get the green light for eating. That's all for today's program. I'm Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City.